Welcome to Break It Down, a ScanSource podcast brought to you by Cisco. On this podcast, we take complex tech topics and break them down for the non-tech listener with your host, Ian, Kyle, and Philip. It is another edition of Break It Down, ScanSource podcast brought to you by our friends at Cisco. The crew is back, Kyle, Gabby, Gabby's dryer. How are we doing today? Happy Friday, Ian, Gabby, and Gabby's dryer. The dryer says hi. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing great. I've been looking forward to this topic. I'm, I'm getting ready to embrace my inner teenager. Yeah. So we're talking esports today, which is a topic that is something I think is going to change not only the technology, it's already impacted the technology space, but I think the way people raise their children is going to shift at least to an extent in some households. Because I know when I grew up, I had 30 minutes allowed for video games and that was it. You know, go and play sports, go and do this. Well, now the money's in esports. So maybe parents will be encouraging their kids to play video games these days. I don't know. So I'm on two sides of that coin, Ian. One is esports is inclusive. So kids or adults with with handicaps or disabilities can participate. So it's more inclusive than a physical on the field sport. But on the other hand, there is a tremendous amount of money in this industry. And as you as you're saying, like I've got two teenage kids. Both of my teenage kids are like, why work hard in school when I can just go become a Twitch streamer and make millions? So it's a challenge for sure from a from a parenting standpoint, if not from a from an education. For sure. For sure. Obviously, some big names out there. But let's start where we always start. Let's go back to the beginning. I imagine the beginning is not too long ago. I can't imagine there was money for people playing, you know, the original Nintendo and the original Mario. So I imagine this is more of a recent trend, if I had to guess, Kyle. Yeah, I wanted to make the where's the beginning of this interesting through my my thorough Google searching, as I normally do in preparation for these things, there is actually a uh, an event in 1972 at Stanford that is attributed as the first eSport. It was a content contributor for Rolling Stones magazine at the time that also worked in Stanford's AI lab, and they put together a little tournament for a game called Space War, which no one listening to this this podcast will will likely remember of that game. I looked it up and I went, oh, that's what that was? But anyway, they had a little competition and the winner of the competition in Space War got a free year's subscription to Rolling Stone magazine. So... What a win. Yeah, sure. Okay, there we go. We got that out of the way. 1972. Let's call that the beginning. That's so much earlier than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. That's the IoT toaster thing. That's just a, a cool example to talk about where this began. But defining esports is, uh, I guess, would be important, what we're talking about today. And, and I think most of what we will discuss has the video game element to the core of it. But it's essentially, esports is essentially taking multiplayer video games that people play competitively with spectators. So there's all three of those elements. It's a game, a video game, it's multiplayer, and it's it's being done competitively, which people do anyway. But 
the with spectators part of it is what makes it so interesting. What makes it's what makes it an industry and and why there's so much money associated with it. Professional video gamers. That's a real thing. Professional video gamers. It is a real thing. It's a humongous industry, which some of the numbers on the financial side are staggering. I saw a stat that just one tournament for a League of Legends in 2017 generated 5.5 million in sales. And that's that's four years ago. So my data is a little old, uh, to quote Dwight Schrute. It's not the most recent statistics or anything, but the CAGR of this is like absolutely exponential. So it, it very much is something that I think you're going to continue to see as obviously a lot of the things we've talked about get integrated into gaming with augmented reality and, and all of that. Artificial intelligence continues to improve. The other thing, and I've had this conversation with friends who are not in technology, which I think is an interesting consideration, that one of the most popular games in this is Madden, which is American football and a video game. American football is one of the most dangerous sports as far as injuries per athlete is concerned. So I I would be interested to see long term, and you're going to get to where this is going, I know, but I've I've long hypothesized that maybe one day virtual sports will replace real sports due to injury concerns as people get larger, faster, and stronger. Yeah, well, I mean, then you got to work in their carpal tunnel. Professional video games can get injured too. Ian, I'm with you. I, I don't think anything will ever replace the on-field competitions. You're into lacrosse. I'm into baseball. I don't think those th- those types of sports will get replaced with esports. The, the one example that I keep thinking about, whether or not it's realistic for an e-player or a remote player to replace what would normally be on-field or on-site would be something like Formula One racing. Those cars are more technology than they are mechanics these days. And you could drive that car from remote. You don't have to be in the car. You, we, there's enough technology that exists now for with cameras and control and all that kind of stuff that you could realistically drive one from remotely. But I think there's enough I mean, if we start talking about the NFL for American football, that is a a multi-billion dollar industry. Multi-billion doesn't even do it justice. It's I don't, I don't think the NFL will stop being the NFL, but just that you could see a, a other sporting, like other sporting avenues take up. At, like the NBA, all of the NBA teams partner now with an esports team. That's, yep. And a bunch of them own esports. Yes. So I, I bet you I, I could see that becoming a thing where it becomes a much more level playing field. Yep. That's right. So we are a tech podcast. There is a lot of infrastructure, I imagine, that goes on behind the scenes because I know even when I play video games here at home, yes, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I am my own bandwidth by myself. I don't have. I'm not in a LAN situation. I'm not in a. I'm playing online, but it's nothing ornate. And I, you know, if I if I die or whatever, it's not the end of the world. But my internet is my internet. But I imagine that at these tournaments, the infrastructure is probably a sight to behold. And that my favorite thing of cord picture pictures of all the, all the cords being organized are very prevalent. So what goes in behind the scenes? That I mean, I. I 
can't even imagine. Is it? Is it? Well, so first question: What goes into it behind the scenes? Second question is: Is this driving innovation on maybe the networking infrastructure side because of the the needs? Yeah. So uh, incoming long answer. Let's let's start a little bit with what it takes to get you connected from your house to a online game and networking one on one, baby. Yeah. So. Fortnite is one of the big popular ones today that our listeners are going to recognize. So let's say you're at home and you're playing Fortnite. Well, you're playing against other players from all around the world. The technology that's involved is your gaming rig, whatever that is, your PC or your Xbox or your PlayStation connects through software to the the Fortnite servers. That goes across your internet, like you said. So whatever you have in your house, so you have local network in your house or you have Wi-Fi in your house that connects to your Internet service provider that then connects to the data centers that the Fortnite gaming server is running on wherever that is. And there's many, many, many of them around the world in order to we we talked about uh, edge compute before. We talked about bringing the compute closest to the users that use the application. This is no different. So you have little pop-up gaming servers all over the planet in order for people to connect to this thing. And then you have to consider that you're one of 100 people playing the game at any point in time. There's 99 other people's gaming rigs and their internet and their connections to the gaming server all have to be synchronized somewhere in order to provide you with a positive experience. So that's your normal home experience. Your compute, your internet, their compute and their software that does all this aggregation of the many, many players that are connecting to their servers. So what makes esports interesting is people are taking that game that they used to play at home and they're trying to do it competitively. So they want to do these tournaments that you reference where they will pay just like what, what are, what are other uh, common poker people pay to enter poker tournaments Then they show up and there's thousands of other players in this poker tournament. You play till there's one winner. These pop-up tournaments happen very similarly. Um, Most of the ones that are in vogue right now, you referenced uh, League of Legends earlier. Those are team-based games. And so you have teams competing against one another in these things. So the technology that's involved in a pop-up tournament is no different than what you use at home, but at a grand scale, a massive scale. If you think about anything uh, competitive, any any hosting organization that is hosting a competitive tournament will do everything they can do to make sure gameplay is fair. Even if it's chess, like you have people monitoring the chess game to make sure that the players do it fairly. So in this world of esports, where you have people using gaming consoles or PCs to play against one another, you have to ensure that there's fair play. And by fair play, I mean everyone's computer is the same. All of their internet ac- or network access to the game server is the same. You want a lower latency. You want a lower lag. You want to make sure there's no blips. Like all of those things that someone could say, like that part of the infrastructure, the technology infrastructure is why I lost. You will see, uh, you know, Cisco's got a great video on their web- on their esports website for a League of Legends tournament where they brought a game server to the physical site of one of these tournaments. They call it the Realm. 
but the realm is made up of a tremendous amount of networking equipment to lower latency as far as possible, meaning that all the computers can communicate to one another quickly and without lag, and all the servers, the compute, are now on site too. But uh, in that video, they said that they brought one of the normal game servers to the site. So it's the same amount of compute that normally runs the entire world or a region's worth of players to a place so that 10 players could participate on it. For technology partners out there that are looking to get involved in this, there's networking and computer, the two big things. Then there's all the ancillary things. There's wearables, there's there's displays, there's lighting and production, there's you know, anything that goes into an event, these are events, they're huge events, they're filling arenas of people that pay to come sit there and watch nerds like Ian play video games. So it's it's crazy. But like you said, there's a tremendous industry out there, a tremendous amount of revenue for people coming into these things. So, so the cost of bringing the realm into the arena is quickly offset. Yeah. I mean, so I'm on the Cisco case study right now of that League of Legends tournament where they brought the realm in, and they use a word I've never heard of before, petabytes. I've heard oh, yeah. of gigabytes. I've heard of terabytes. I've Keep never going. heard of a petabyte. Yep. yep. You know, is it peta or pita? No, peta's right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it is a tremendous amount of data. They process the both the network and the, the server, the, the compute. Um, processes. It's equal to 1,000 terabytes or a million gigabytes. Woo. So will events like this or esports as it continues to grow drive technological innovation or is because like the realm is built on a Nexus 9K switch, technology so far ahead that we're now just being able to support things like this? Yep. So again, two answers for that one for me. I think the technology that exists in this realm example that we're using. And I, I would invite people to go check out the Cisco esports page so you can see this thing. It's, it's crazy. To me, that amount of technology is overkill for having 10 people play video games in an arena. So, and I'm not minimizing playing video games, but I mean, it's, it's literally 10 people connecting to a server and competing now, there's a whole bunch of people in the background production and all the stuff that are streaming externally. They're, they're, sh they're uh, doing video switching inside so that you can all the people sitting in the arena that paid to watch can see everything. So there's a bunch of other things on the network, more than just these 10 people playing. But that technology is fine. That technology exists. It's not we're not driving innovation because of that. We uh, you can look at spec sheets on all this network equipment we've been talking about and look at how they're already driving the lowest latency. They're already reducing lag as much as possible. Like it, that, that technology exists. So the second part of my answer is where what's being driven is uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. So virtual reality gaming in the sense that we've been talking about this other stuff, these other uh, esports is nowhere near as prevalent and that market is nowhere near as mature yet. Now, if you listen to, I'll call them experts. If you listen to the experts in the virtual reality gaming world, they will say that most of the innovation needs to come from the software developers that are making the games. Like they need to make games that have a spectate mode in them. So otherwise no one would else be able to watch you if you couldn't spectate what's happening in the game. Also in virtual reality, you're 
immersed in a 3D environment. So somebody watching you is only seeing a 2D image of it. So to be truly immersed, a spectator might want to be wearing their virtual reality goggles and also experience a three-dimensional environment. So that technology is behind. So uh, as more VR gaming in this sense comes to market, the more that technology is going to be driven to evolve. Keep in mind too that virtual reality rigs, uh, you know, we'll call back. We did a, we did an episode on virtual reality. We can call back to that. That's new. That's this is new technology. So we're just now getting to where virtual reality goggles and the haptics, whatever the controls are, that those rigs are wearable, fully wearable, and don't require a separate computer to handle all of the processing. So the more that things like the Oculus Quest Two come out where you can wear it and play everything on it. You don't need a computer. You don't need a gaming console. The more the virtual reality version of eSports is going to evolve. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. And I think that segues perfectly. Let's Gab, you have any questions around Mario Kart that we want to address? Is Mario Kart an eSports game, Kyle? I can't imagine it is, although Super Smash Brothers is. So, I mean, there's something in that family for, uh, for Gabby to yeah. play. There you go. Maybe I no. should go enter competition. Keep training. <laughs> I would lose immediately. <laughs> yeah, we, we learned in the green room, listeners, that Gabby plays Mario Kart with what I call the, a goofy foot. So she plays the controllers <laughs> backwards, left hand on the right hand controller and vice versa. My boyfriend gets mad when I hit the wrong button on like the switch thing that like pauses it because I'm like holding it wrong. <laughs> I feel like he he would be a competitive gamer. No, I keep I'm like, what are you? You're playing them all the time. Like maybe you should enter, make some money. I don't think he's there yet. <laughs> I don't know where you wanted to go, Ian, as we wrap things up. But I don't know that we've said the word Twitch just yet. But Twitch is Twitch is an online platform that uh, allows people to stream content and allow viewers to subscribe and view the content. And there are multi-millionaires that do nothing but stream themselves playing video games. And there are multi-millionaires that stream themselves doing almost nothing, uh, not even playing video games, but doing almost nothing. They're just interesting enough that people want to watch. It's a very interesting part of our world. It, it harkens back to what's the Jim Carrey movie where he's essentially a character in a live TV show, the Truman show. People, want to view other people's real life, what they're, what they're doing. And I mean, again, like I said, there's, there's people making multi millions of dollars in Twitch streaming themselves, playing video games. I was having a conversation with a coworker the other day about it. And he said, you know what? I've been thinking about that. That might be an interesting little side hustle to make some money, but I'm not any good at the video game. And I'm like, you don't have to be. That's the whole point. You don't have to be good at it. You just have to be personable and have an on-camera presence and people will watch you. It's, it is nuts. By the way, big data leak recently on Twitch revenues. Very timely for this podcast recording. So if you want to go out there and look, you can see how much your favorite Twitch streamer has made in the last two years. So I did want to go here because before we start recording, Gabby said she didn't really understand people who watch other people play video games. 
No judgment. I just no don't judgment. get it. No, I think that's a very, I, I would say that's the vast majority opinion. And I, I think I've long been there, but I'm kind of like open. Kyle, I think you and I have talked about this like years ago, but I've kind of opened my eyes to it. Like it's the same thing as us watching sports on TV just for like a different, like it, it's their sports on TV. Essentially, if you're into video games, it's the same thing as me sitting down watching NFL Sunday for them sitting down watching their favorite person play with League of Legends. That's right. It's the same. I mean, I fully embrace, I mentioned poker earlier. I fully embraced the World Series of Poker years ago. And I would sit down and watch other people play cards. And you look at it, you step back and look at it and go like, what, why? Why were you watching someone else play a game that you could go play? Video games or esports, let's Let's, let's stick with just video games or streamers, content creators that stream. The difference to me, Ian, is that this is a popularity contest. So the, you don't watch the Eagles play on Sundays because the Eagles are popular. That's your team and you know the player and all this stuff. The, the streaming community is very much a popularity contest. It is. And I, what's interesting is I actually think Twitch and the way Twitch is set up, I've not really been on Twitch a whole lot, but just from my understanding, it's interesting because ESPN recently started doing a thing for Monday Night Football where they have the Manning cast, and it's the two Manning brothers talking while they watch football. Isn't that what Twitch is? It's someone talking while they play video games. And so it's interesting because the Manning cast has been this like unbelievably successful thing that ESPN stumbled upon, but in reality, they're kind of stealing from another industry or a parallel industry. Yep. Yeah, that's right. You also have, there's a whole industry out there of content creators who do what the Mannings do, which is critique somebody else doing something. Now they're doing it in a commentating kind of way, but they're, but a lot of these streamers are just there to be critics. They're online critics, but there are also people that are there playing and you're watching them play. So, but there's, we, we said earlier, tremendous amount of money in this industry that with, Twitch, you're making money like $2.50 at a time. and Or people that use emojis, certain emojis, they're called bits in the Twitch world, but they receive a penny from each one of those things. So just imagine how many subscribers you have to have to make millions if you're earning money $2.50 per subscriber and a penny per emoji at a time. That takes a long time to amass, which is what I tell my kids. When they want to make professionals. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to stream, that's great. But it's going to take you a long time to build a base where you're even making 50 bucks, much less a million. That's what I was going to say. I actually saw this trending whenever day that report came out. And it was that a lot of people on Twitch are actually not making that much money. Yeah. Well, yeah, the thing that's interesting about that, we're a little off topic. But it's the thing that's interesting about that is that leak was just how much Twitch pays those streamers. It doesn't take into account anything that their sponsors pay them. Anybody that streams on YouTube or Facebook, what money's they're what money they're pulling in from there. But I'll tell you what, right now, if I'm I could trade places with any one of the top ten, I would do it. They're just sitting oh, yeah, at home. I'll go be ninja. And, yeah. They're sitting at home streaming, playing video games. And I mean I know it's hard work because you gotta constantly create new combat and marketing. You guys are in marketing. You get this. You got to constantly create new content, engage your customer base, and be fresh and be relevant. You can't just sit back and on your laurels and collect money off of what what was cool a month ago or a year ago. So, anyway, it's a lot of hard work 
to make a lot of money, which again, I keep telling my kids is no different than what I do for a living. Exactly. <laughs> we are running long, but I want to end where we always end. Where's this going? I imagine we'll continue to see improved artificial intelligence. I would say that virtual reality will continue to be an augmented reality will kind of continue to become more prevalent. Will we see full kind of where the Oculus is, where you're kind of involved in the game? Is that kind of where the future of this is going or will it always be keyboard controller? Yeah, that's to me, that's the that's the future. We've hit on it a, a, a couple of things in here. My Kyle's opinion with the asterisk and all the disclaimers that comes with is that for one, VR is definitely going to, that's going to evolve. So we will start to see VR leagues, esports leagues become way more prevalent as that technology develops. And listen, those people that are playing those games are not sitting on their rear ends, clicking on a keyboard and a mouse. They're up and moving. And so there's a physical element to it. They're sweating. It's hard work. So that's a great esport to promote from a health and well-being standpoint. So I think that's that's one. Then my other opinion is that you, we will start to see more inclusion and the marketing and advertisement of players in these esports that would previously be considered like handicapped or disabled or, or couldn't participate with able-bodied competitors on field or on track. So. I think we're really, really close to somebody like ESPN picking up and advertising esports players the same way they do LeBron James. I like it. I think I'm just imagining in the future it will be like Jubanji when you get sucked into the game. That's There you go. We got our cultural reference in here. The Truman (laughs) Show and Jumanji. I like it. I like it. Today's interview is brought to you by Cisco WebEx. Cisco WebEx is a platform 95% of Fortune 500 companies use for their collaboration needs. WebEx Meetings brings people from all over the globe together. It's like being there in person even when you can't be. Join from any device and get HD quality audio and video and even share your screen. From online meetings to whiteboarding to file sharing with the whole team, work progresses with WebEx. It's how millions do their best teamwork.